Well, good morning, Victory Life Church. Great to see you today. Thank you for being a bright-spirited bunch in light of the fact that it's raining outside. Uh, but great to see you. Welcome to church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my distinct privilege to welcome you to church this morning. If this is one of your first times joining us, uh, for those of you joining us here in person, might I encourage you to let us know that you're here. We'd love to join you in your faith journey as you try to discern what God has for you in this world. If you'd like to learn more, you can take one of those communication cards that can be found at the seat back in front of you and You can fill that out and find me afterwards in our Welcome Center. I'd love to have a conversation with you and give you a free gift on behalf of Victory Life Church. For those of you joining us online, you can go to our website at vlchurch.com. Click on the banner that says, Are You New Here? and fill out the form, and I will contact you and connect with you sometime this week. But thanks for joining us. I do have a few reminders and announcements this morning. As you know, we kicked off Vision Sunday, or we had Vision Sunday last uh, Sunday, August 28th for the entirety of the remainder of this year and also through spring and summer next year. Our vision for this next year is shine your light, shine your light, which, which of course is based on uh, some verses uh, in Matthew where Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Can you raise your hand and wake up this morning and say, I am the light of the world? On three, one, two, three, I am the light of the world. Jesus goes on to say, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. Isn't that our goal as a church, to let our lights shine before the world around us? And as such, we gave you some goodies. Last week, we handed out some Matthew journals Uh, so that you can follow along in our study of Matthew this fall, which is obviously where these verses come out of. And if you didn't get one of those, might I encourage you to see our ushers on your way out. We have lots of those journals for you. So if you weren't able to get one, see our our ushers afterwards. Also, you likely received a key tag uh, when you came in last week. If you didn't get one of those, uh, you can see our ushers. But on those key tags, may I remind you, there is a QR code. If you take a picture of that QR code with your smartphone, it'll take you straight to our website, and we will provide weekly updates on our Shine Your Light ministries that are going on all year long. So just as a reminder, make sure that you take a look at our updates that go on uh, periodically, throughout, weekly throughout the year. Last but not least, when you came in today, you likely received what's known as a calling sheet, a ministry calling sheet. So you can see all the Shine Your Light ministry initiatives that are on the screen right now. And uh, Pastor Matt's actually going to reference this morning in his sermon uh, what you might feel compelled by, what you might feel called to in the way of these ministry initiatives or maybe something else that God is illuminating in your mind and heart as you learn more about how he wants you to shine your light. So that ministry calling sheet is exactly for you. Because God wants to use you this year to shine your light. And so, as I mentioned, Pastor Matt will reference that this morning uh, in in his sermon. We have another announcement. In light of shining our light, we want to do that to the world around us and to the community around us. And as such, we are really excited to have an event in about three weeks. Uh, It will be entitled the Celebrate Life Event. Actually, it's going to be entitled the Celebrate Life Memorial Service. Uh, The purpose of this event... Uh, is to celebrate the lives of loved ones who passed in the last few years. Now, what we have learned from friends and uh, 
uh, leaders in our community, funeral directors, is that a lot of folks didn't host a funeral during the pandemic uh, for obvious reasons. And so uh, we felt really compelled and called, uh, shall we say, to kind of shine our light to the world around us and to offer a community-wide memorial service. So we are really excited to have this event. And so if you know of anyone who lost a loved one, please encourage them uh, to sign up for this event. We want to honor them. We want to love on them. We want to show the compassion of God to them. Uh, they, they can sign up on our website at vlchurch.com by clicking on the banner that you see there. Uh, for those of you joining us online, it's a banner that says Celebrate Life Memorial Service. Uh, this event is going to be amazing. It's going to be featuring the Western Reserve Community Band with their well-known conductor, Ralph Meyer, and we'll have some worship time together. Pastor Matt will offer a message. There's going to be food there at the event. Once again, this is three weeks from actually yesterday. On Saturday, September 24th, the event is going to be from noon to about 3 p.m. So if you know of anyone who needs encouragement, who needs inspiration, who needs the love of God shown to them because of them having lost a loved one, please encourage them to sign up for this amazing event that's happening in a few weeks. I have a few more reminders this morning. Uh, I've mentioned in the last few weeks that we're going to be having a men's retreat. For this is, so this is for the fellas. If you haven't signed up for this event, know that we're having a men's retreat uh, next weekend, Friday through Sunday, and it's going to be a lot of hanging out, eating, sharing stories, hiking, uh, shooting at the range, playing sports, fishing, and sitting around the campfire, and I'm told some men only leave the campfire to go and eat. Is that right, Bill and Tom? So it's a great time. You can just relax, and it's good fellowship. And there's devotions and testimonies and stories that are shared, and it's just a great way to be encouraged uh, in your faith. The cost for the whole weekend is $97, includes food and lodging. There's a little bit of, a, bit of an extra cost for those, of you that, for those of you that are going to be shooting at the range, and I guess the reason for this is because they're going to provide some ammunition. Wow. Sounds like a life-changing experience, so um, just don't shoot each other, fellas. But uh, anyways, if you want to get signed up for that event, you can go to our website at vlchurch.com and click on the banner that says VLC Men's Retreat. Once again, it's going to happen uh, next weekend, so fellas, uh, you'd have a good time if you, if you go to that uh, event. Last announcement is our life groups. I mentioned these last week. Uh, for those of you that are interested, actually, I would encourage all of you to get signed up for a life group. Some of them are currently going on. A lot of them start within the next few weeks, within the next month. We have life groups for men and for women. Uh, we have life groups on uh, various topics right now. Our Sunday school down the hall is studying the book of Jeremiah. We even have a class that's coming up later on this month on evangelism with Becky Howell. And so it's going to be uh, really great life groups offered uh, this fall. And so if you'd like to get into one of those, you can go to our website and click on the banner you see there. Uh, get signed up. It's going to be great, great, great. Well, that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. If you have come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. You can go to our website at vlchurch.com backslash give or give via text, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord with your tithes and offerings. Can I ask you to stand this morning? And as you do so, let's bow for a word of prayer together. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to meet you in this place. Uh, we know that when we come to meet you here, that good things happen. 
In fact, your word tells us that every good and perfect thing comes from our Father in heaven. So we come here expecting good things from you today. I pray that you'd break down walls, break down barriers, and open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. Help us to be inspired to live our lives with purpose, direction, and meaning. And may you give us what you want us to have so that we can go out into our world and let your light shine through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. We gotta turn it on, but it's your choice to turn worship on this morning. It sets you up for the word. Let's worship him together. Let's sing again. We worship the God. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God, he holds the victory. Come on, let's go.
let's boast in the name of Jesus. Every time we sing that, we're saying we boast in you, Lord. We praise your name, Lord.
You are worthy in this place today, Jesus. Hallelujah unto your name. The one who died for me. Thank you, Jesus. He is worthy of boasting in today. I boast in my Savior. He's given me new life, and he's given me eternal life. Jesus Christ, God's Son, by his cross and by his resurrection, has given me new life and eternal life. I thank you, Jesus. I boast in your name today. I remember and I will not forget your sacrifice for me.
my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. What a day that will be when the heavens break, the dead in Christ shall rise, and then you and I will rise after forever. Our gaze will be fixed on our King, our Creator, our Maker, the one who saved us, the one who's raised us. Let's lift a song unto Him. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, what more needs be said? For we've approached your throne room with joy as David did before the ark. We boasted in you and raised our hallelujah, putting our full faith and trust in the Lord our God. And we have sung the gospel of Jesus Christ start to finish, who came to this earth to save fallen man and who will complete the work at his return. Lord Jesus, we honor you today. And Lord, if our hearts are not now prepared for all you have for us, Lord, we are remiss. For you, Lord, have blessed us as we have blessed your name. Thank you for this time. We honor and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All right, at this time, young disciples, you may be dismissed to head on down the hall. I'm excited for what you're studying today, because I know what it is. For you old disciples, 
You can turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. We are going to land or begin right where we were last week, but we're going to see a little bit more of the context for where we were last week. We're going to see a little bit more about what Jesus has for us. As Pastor Otto mentioned in our announcements today, we laid out for you the vision that we feel is from the Lord for the church last week. That shine your light vision, and we have these beautiful Matthew journals for you to follow along. We're going to have beautiful updates, beautiful updates. Well, I saw who did the video this week. I don't want to call them beautiful, but uh, we have some video updates for you each week. So if you're sitting at the doctor's office, sitting in the car, scan this. And of course, today I'm going to encourage you to take home this small devotional front and back. And I encourage you either today, this afternoon, while the iron is still hot, to do this devotional or because it's Labor Day tomorrow and so many of you are off work and only thinking about what you're grilling, to uh, go ahead and get into that calling worksheet in your devotions tomorrow morning. We would be much obliged because we feel like the Lord's calling us to some things this year and he's calling all of us to them as we shine our light. Last week we learned that we are to be the people who share the title and the mission of the Lord Jesus to be the light of the world. His title and his mission And Jesus saw as a threat to that title and mission one thing, and that's if we don't see ourselves as the bearers of that mission. If we don't see ourselves as the pastors of our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our sports leagues, and our school, we are remiss. But today we're going to learn a little bit more about that context. What was Jesus speaking into? What was he concerned for when he said, hey, don't put that light under a basket? And today we're going to get into Matthew chapter 5 and see a little bit more of the context So we can make sure, as we encourage you this year to shine your light with us, that we are fully counting the cost. Let's bow our heads and pray and prepare our heart for the word. Heavenly Father, we just pray that this time that we have in the next few moments, our hearts would be open to your voice. Holy Spirit, I pray if you need to convict our spirits, that we would be open to conviction. Holy Spirit, I pray if you need to vision for us and empower us, you would empower us, you would do so and that the word of God would, would come to us in a way that is glorifying to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I might have mentioned to you in the past couple of weeks that I am coaching Little League Baseball this fall because I hate myself. I spend my life trying to convince Christians what, what they need to be doing, but you're much easier to convince than six, seven, and eight-year-old boys. Uh, what they need to be doing. I'm constantly yelling at them, turn around, get down in your baseball stance, look at the batter, you're going to get clocked with the ball. Stop playing in the dirt, stop pulling grass out of the outfield, watch! Just screaming the whole game, I don't need this type of stress. The reason I'm screaming is because I was one of those kids. I was one of them who wasn't paying attention, and, and this This very week, Thursday at 6, I went down to the place of my childhood trauma, Trails End, Lower Field. I was at first base one day, and I wasn't watching. I don't know what I was doing. I don't know what I was doing. But all of a sudden, a split second before the ball hit me, I saw it. And it hit me right above the eye, line drive. And down I went, Trails End, Lower Field, first base. And I laid there, contemplating life. I got hit hard. You know, the coaches ran out, Matt, are you okay? Matt, are you okay? And I'm laying there, and I'm half in pain, half milking it, you know? I was in pain. It hurt right above the eye, but I'm, oh, I don't know. Get the ice. Get the stretcher. You know, I, 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 was, I was milking it a little bit, but it hurt. It hurt. I don't want that to happen to one of the boys. 
So the coaches are all concerned. You know, all the parents are concerned. A kid just got clocked in the dome, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, as I'm laying there, I heard the beautiful and tender voice of the man who loved me most in the world, my dad. And he leaned down and got in my ear, and he said these beautiful words, get up and walk it off. (laughs) He helped me to my feet, and we walked down the right field line, and we walked back, and he said something to the effect of, now get back in there, the game can't go on without you. What a tender man. Didn't offer me ice, Tylenol, a Gatorade, nothing. Just get back in the game. It's part of the game. You know, the very first practice, I wasn't going to show this, the very first practice I needed the boys to get over being scared of the ball. So I said, who trusts me most? So I was like, me. I'm like, you shouldn't. I said, put your glove down. I just threw the ball at him and hit him because I'm a good coach. I'm like, see, you got to get over that. got to get over that. But sometimes you get hit. Sometimes that's the nature of the game. And sometimes that tender, loving, compassionate voice needs to lean down and say, get up, walk it off. The game can't go on without you. Jesus is going to tell us the cost of being the light of the world. In fact, it's not all rosy. There's going to be a cost associated with being the light of the world. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to take some tough people to do what Jesus has called us to do. We had all those beautiful ministry initiatives. You know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to send 100 praying goers. We'll talk about that in two weeks. We're going to make 100 multi-generational connections. We're going to start Bible studies in schools. You think that's going to be easy? You think that's just going to be, hey, we did it, we did it, we did it, we did it, we did it. Or is there going to be opposition? Is it going to be tough? Well, today we're going to count the cost because Jesus counted the cost. So before he says we're the light of the world, before he says that we're the salt of the earth, let's see what he says. Look down your Bibles to chapter 5, verse 11, and I'm going to ask you to not pay attention to the subject heading that splits up 11 and 12 from the rest because this is a flow of thought, and Jesus didn't just speak in three-verse snippets. That's a later editor who comes in and puts those. I want to see Jesus' flow of thought here, and let's go ahead and read. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 16. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Hasn't the Lord Jesus set an interesting context for telling us that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world? He said the context that gets him thinking about this is reviling and persecution and getting lied on. You see, sometimes those subject headings don't help us because we don't see the natural flow of thought that Jesus has. He's just laid out those blessed R's. Blessed are you, the the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. You're going to live differently, look differently, act differently, my people. And because you look different, act different, think different, because of that, you are going to have yucky stuff happen to you. But in the midst of that, I want you to remember you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. That's the progression of thought that's going on here on this great Sermon on the Mount. It's not all rosy for the light of the world. We're not always going to be liked. Sometimes we're going to get moved to the margins of society. People are going to work to silence our beliefs 
And Jesus says, in spite of all that, you are to feel blessed. If you're out there being the light of the world, if you're out there and people are being mean to you, you're blessed. That's what Jesus says in verse 11. You're blessed if people are giving you a hard time. Then he doubles down and says, not only are you blessed, rejoice and be glad if people are mean to you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad. Like, yay, people are throwing fastballs at me. Hooray. He wants us to look at that and say, I'm doing something. I'm accomplishing something. I'm right in the will of God my Father by lifting up the name of Jesus and putting myself in line to be reviled, to be persecuted, and to be lied on. Now, that word reviled in the Greek, it's an interesting one because it literally means to be scolded for one's beliefs. To be scolded for one's beliefs. Have you ever had a Christian conviction or a belief that you got scolded for? You had the audacity to say it, and somebody looked back at you and said, you can't say that. We don't, we don't say those things around here. You're not, you're not, you're not saying anything that, that here in church would be controversial. You're not saying anything that in your home would be controversial. You're, you're just merely explaining the gospel or talking about Jesus. You see, when I think of us being scolded for our beliefs nowadays, us Bible-believing Christians, just like you, a lot of times my mind goes directly to Judeo-Christian sexual ethics. Like, we are not allowed to speak the sexual ethic that the Bible uh, preaches and teaches, and therefore, you know, that's the issue. But I think there's a primal issue here. I think there's one that's at the very base of our Christianity, and it's the fact that we speak Jesus. That's what we're not allowed to say. That's the real problem. That's where we end up being scolded for our beliefs, because at the very center of our belief is the idea that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. That will get you scolded. That will get you reviled. You, you need nothing else. That will get you called a hater. Now, I'm not trying to use just 21st century language. That language was foisted upon Christians from the earliest times. We were called by the Roman commentator Tacitus the haters of humanity. You want to know why the early Christians were called haters of humanity? They wouldn't burn incense to the emperor's image. They wouldn't buy and sell in the pagan temples anymore. They wouldn't create idols of Jesus and put them in the Roman pantheon. They wouldn't play the game that said, Jesus is just one among the other gods. That's what was, was going to get them called the haters of humanity from the earliest times. Tacitus was saying, you know what, Nero, the emperor, 60s AD, Nero sent all those Christians to their death to be torn apart by a wild beast or lit his candles in his garden as human flames. He did all that for spurious reasons. They really hadn't burned down Rome. But you know what, the Christians deserved it because they're the haters of humanity. They have the audacity to say that Jesus is unique and distinct and the one who provides salvation. Them are hateful words to the world around us, did you know? Just try saying them to somebody and see how it goes. You see, like I said, we often think that we're reviled because of our biblical ethics, but the gospel itself is an offense to the world. The gospel itself is an offense to the world. I, I have to tell you, I have got the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody very close with me on two occasions. 
Somebody that I really believe the Lord has to come to Christ. I say all the time, someone's getting ready to know Jesus at a location near you. And I, I prayed, God, give me opportunities. And the first time I shared the gospel with this gentleman, it went really, really well. He said, you know, I'm here what you're saying, but you know what? I, I would really have to know that I know that I know that I believe that. I don't know that I believe that today. And I'm like, great, we're this close. So the next time I got to share the gospel with him, we sat down. And I began to talk about Jesus being unique in who he was and what he accomplished. And all of a sudden, his body language changed, and he tensed up. And he says, don't say that. You can't say that. What couldn't I say? That Jesus was unique. That Jesus was distinct. That Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. That offended his sensibilities. He, I was scolded for my most primary belief. So before you think about, oh, well, the culture doesn't like us anymore, or, or, or the society is, is conspiring against us, let me ask you a very personal question. When was the last time you were scolded for your belief in Jesus? It's a good litmus test for whether or not you're the light. Because that enough will get you scolded. You don't even need to get deeper into biblical ethics. You can just say that Jesus has provided the way to salvation. They'll come and get you. That does not fit the culture's pluralistic mandate. It didn't fit it in ancient Rome. It didn't fit it in ancient Greece. And it doesn't fit today. It doesn't fit today. You're going to be scolded for that belief. Now, I hear from Christians all the time that feel persecuted. The world has changed. The world's changed in the last 50 years. And you know what? I, I, I want to affirm you in that it has changed. The world has changed. Christian images, symbols, ideology, it is being expunged from the public sphere. Anybody who says that's not the case just wouldn't be watching the news or looking at history. Things have changed. They, they started changing in about 1947. There was a Supreme Court case called Everson versus the Board of Education. And in the dissenting opinion of Everson versus the Board of Education, one of the Supreme Justices coined the term the wall of separation between church and state. Remember, we have an establishment clause within our founding documents that Congress shall not promote or make an established religion within our country. That's the, that we, they can't establish anything. But starting in 1947, disestablishment law began to be tried in courts. And disestablishment law is based in the concept that if it looks Christian or smells Christian, it must be erased from the public sphere. has to go. No prayers in the schools. Kids can't evangelize in the schools. Ten Commandments on the courthouse walls, that's a no-no. And don't you dare have any of those vile and violent nativity scenes on public grounds. That's called disestablishment law. Things have changed. There's a very strong faction within our country that wants to make sure if it has Christian at all in its basis, it's not suitable for the public sphere. There's plenty that is suitable for the public sphere, though, so long as it's not Christian. I, I, I drove past ambiance yesterday on my way home. There's plenty of things that are suitable for the public sphere right in those windows, aren't there? Do you guys, you're catching what I'm throwing, right? You're not, you understand what I mean? That's okay. In fact, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, they talk about, and they try all these cases, they're very excited about getting rid of nativity scenes and crosses and the Ten Commandments because those certainly aren't part of our cultural heritage, let alone the establishment of religion. They're, they're very strong about that, but they also want to fight for free thought displays within our public schools. 
Now, if we're disestablishing Christian, anything Christian as far as its displays, what is a free thought display, and why would anybody need to fight for it? What's a free thought display? A free thought display is something that challenges the ethics and morality of Christianity. That's a free thought display. And the idea is, is that needs to go up as our Christian heritage comes down. Now, you might argue that the Establishment Clause is a great thing. It, it may very well be. But this Establishment Law is meant to erase and silence Christianity. And it treats the very symbols of the love of God, the cross and the nativity, as somehow violent images foisted upon an otherwise righteous world. Do you see how things get flipped? You say, Pastor Matt, are you trying to make me angry? No. I'm affirming you that you're not crazy. Things have changed. And you know what Jesus says to things have changed? What does Jesus say? Jesus shrugs. Jesus shrugs. He says it's going to happen. Things are not going to be fair. There might be a systematic repression of Christian thought, ideas, values, and symbols. So, what are you going to do about it? There, there, there could very well be the possibility that, that you, could, you could have Christian morals and ethics and you could have the audacity to talk about those and somebody's going to say, you can't say that. Jesus is right. That's what's going to happen. I don't say any of these things to anger you today. I say all of these things to tell you, you are not crazy. These things are real. And you are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world in spite of it. While we may become the enemies of the world, the world must not become our enemy. They might not like us, but we have to love them. You might feel more and more like Christianity is being pushed to the margins, and you would be correct. I'm affirming you in that. But it doesn't matter for our mandate. Our mandate doesn't change. You're the salt of the earth the light of the world. Let's look back at those verses and dive in a little bit further. Jesus says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Doesn't that take on more meaning in light of verse 11 and 12? Jesus knows that for us to partner with him in sharing the light and the salt that he has, it's going to be hard. It's going to be dangerous. We're going to risk being scolded. We're going to risk persecution. We're going to risk people lying on us. I didn't even get to that today. That's another day. That's fine. I want to move on. We're going to get to people lying on us, and you are still going to have to be salt and light in spite of all of that. Because from the earliest times to this, Jesus has always chosen to partner with people to accomplish his work in the world. And you're one of them people. It's you, regardless of what you're facing, regardless of what you think Christians are facing throughout the U.S., you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Now, we didn't talk about salt last week. We didn't get there. 
In fact, salt is a little bit harder for us to wrap our mind around. There's light everywhere. We didn't feel like putting out chunks of salt was a great way to engage you last week. And so we didn't think we'd do that. But in essence, salt is an incredible metaphor because salt is distinct. If the salt loses its saltiness, if the salt loses its distinction, it's no longer good for anything except to keep people from slipping in the rain. That was Jesus' time. In our time, slipping on the ice, right? That's the only thing it's good for. Jesus says you must not lose your distinctiveness in spite of a culture that's going to come after you for being distinct. Jesus knows that the threat is that we would blend in. The threats that we blend in. We'll get to the idea of retreat in just a moment. That's the idea of light. But he says, I don't want you to lose your distinctiveness. How many of you remember last week we talked about in the Old Testament, light was a metaphor for truth, for healing, and for hope. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You bring the truth of the gospel, the healing that comes with the relationship with Jesus, the hope of eternal life through Jesus. You bring that to the world. Salt was a metaphor for wisdom. Wisdom. That what we believe, what we have come to know, what has been revealed to us through Jesus, it is the very wisdom that the world needs. It's the very thing that they need. That man who looked at me and says, you can't say that. Don't say that. If I had had my druthers right at that moment, I would have said, but what I said is exactly what you need. It's what you need. That's the truth. For those of you taking notes today, I would love to have you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, that talks about the foolishness of God being wiser than man's wisdom. What God has to offer this earth is so much wiser than what this earth has going. This earth is not headed anywhere good. The only way to be snatched from the fire and the wrath of God is Jesus Christ. That's it. The world needs that wisdom that sinners going to be sinners and only God can save sinners. That's offensive, but it's true. We're not all getting better. We as human beings aren't ascending to perfect human. No, we are reliant upon God to save us from our sins. We can't blend in. We have to stay distinct. The risk that Jesus saw with using these metaphors of salt and light wasn't just to give us a vision of who we were to be, but he he put these risks in there. What if the salt loses its saltiness? What if the light gets covered in light of persecution, revilement, and lies? What if that happens? You have to know that 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 is the propensity. It's to blend in when the world needs you to be distinct. Folks, we must love the people of the world as Jesus did, but we cannot be in agreement with them. We cannot. That's what Jesus is telling us. We must love the people of the world. We're going to get out there. We're going to speak truth. We're going to shed the, we're going to share the light, but we must not be in agreement with them. Or what makes us distinct? Who are we if we're not people of Jesus? Who are we if we don't follow what he says? Who are we if we're not people of the word? We're losing that distinctiveness. Do not blend in because if the salt blends in, it's no good. It serves no purpose. This is what Jesus is telling us. We must love the people of the world, but we cannot be in agreement with them. We must be distinct. And I see Christians blending in in all phases of life right now. 
staying silent for fear of revilement, staying silent for fear of persecution, and living in such ways that they are just like the world. The only difference is where they are at at 9.30 to 10.30 on Sunday morning. You see what I did there? See, I'll change that to 11 to noon for second service. See that? Right where you're at. We must be different. We must be distinct. Or what are we offering them? We must hold true to those convictions. That third song, we sang like the whole gospel. Did you catch that? There were like 78 verses. The whole gospel was in that song. The whole thing. That's what we believe. That's what the world needs. If we blend in and say, well, they're going to call us haters if we say that. We've forsaken the world. We're not distinct anymore. And if we live in such a way that we don't look distinct, what power does the message have? If we live in such a way that we're no different than the world around us, what power does that distinctive message have? I know I'm preaching some of the most basic concepts of Christianity today, the stuff that makes us want to go, oh, yeah, we should probably live more righteously, yeah, we should probably say something about Jesus. The two hardest things to do are to not blend in because it's tough when we stand out. Jesus knew it. So Jesus called it for what it is. Now, in saying that we are the light of the world, Jesus pointed out that we could also retreat from the world. We could have this light, we could know Jesus, and then we could cover it all up. Just back away. Not, not that we're not distinct. Oh, we have the light. We're just not going to get out there and shine it for risk of being reviled, for risk of being persecuted, for risk of being lied on. And can I be honest with you, my Bible-loving, wonderful first service people, I'm not concerned that you want to blend in. I, I mean that. I'm not concerned about that. You're attending a church that preaches and teaches the Bible because you know you aren't to. You, you aren't to blend in. You know that. I'm not concerned about that as a pastor. My pastoral concern is not the first. My concern is the second is that because of the big bad world that we'll retreat and we'll back away and we'll all put our lights together under the same basket and say, isn't it good to be the light in here? This feels good, it's nice and bright. We don't need to be out there. Somebody's gonna help me after service today. There's a tremendous theologian from the 20th century and I poured over some books this week and I couldn't find it. I did Google searches, couldn't find it who said we, in the, we as 20th century Christians, we're 21st century Christians now, we must be very careful not to retreat to the monastery. As the world gets darker, remember the dark ages? Darker and scarier and, and, and more, more intense out there. We must not retreat behind the walls of the monastery where the beautiful gardens are and the lovely books are and the learning and the literacy and the ability to get fed is right there at our fingertips and medicine and healing is right there and we know what's necessary for medicine and healing but we retreat behind the walls into the monastery and close the doors and say, someday when it's brighter out there, I'll go back out. Folks, that's what we need to be concerned about as Bible-believing Christians, that we don't retreat and get fat on the word and the healing that's in Jesus and the safety of the church and forget that out there there is a lost and a dying world that might be oppositional to us, but we must love them.
We must love them. Jesus went straight into the camp of the enemy, not with violence in mind, but with his arms spread wide open to bring salvation to a world that would revile him, persecute him, and otherwise lie on him. See, we must follow the model of Jesus that we must risk injury from the people of the world but not forsake them. Taken together, these three snippets of scripture, blessed are you, rejoice and be glad, that's one. Salt of the earth, that's two. Light of the world, that's three. Taken together, don't forsake the world even if they injure you. Even if the risk of injury is ever present, you must not retreat from them. You must not blend in with them. And folks, if I might go one step further for, to a pastoral concern that's not in the text, we must not get so mad at the world that it just has us apathetic towards them. I can't believe these changes. I can't believe what's taken place. I'll see Jesus on the day he visits us, but they won't. We must not become apathetic. Jesus says we are to light up the world in spite of the world's animosity towards us because we have to take the very same tact as Jesus. Jesus didn't lay down his life to waste anybody's time. Jesus laid down his life to bring about salvation. He was so bold as to say, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And folks, if you go out into the world to shine your light, and you're reviled, and you're persecuted, and you're lied on, no one takes your life from you. You're laying it down of your own accord. You're saying, I won't forsake the world just because they're bad to me. I will love the world as God so loved the world. I'll follow the pattern of my Lord Jesus, whatever the cost. This is why Jesus used such strong words as, take up your cross and follow me. Take up the instrument of your torturous death and follow me. The cross was not a pretty thing in Roman Judea. It wasn't. Take up your cross and follow me. So I want to tell you today, as we call you to being light of the world, as you're, as you're looking at a calling worksheet devotion and go, I don't know if I'm interested in doing this. This may end up in my trunk. That's where some of the things that people hand me end up. Will you count the cost? Knowing that to step out as the light of the world will most likely have you cross a pain line. You cross one. I didn't coin that phrase. A great author named Rico Tice coined that phrase. Great pastor, but you'll have to cross a pain line. Jesus made it abundantly clear. Jesus crossed a pain line but the payoff was worth it because here you are. Here you sit. And if you cross a pain line, here someone else will sit. There they will be, redeemed and made new by the blood of the Lamb. So I don't know if you're out there today and you are shining your light strongly for Jesus being distinct and Otherwise, just doing a great job when it comes to evangelism. I don't know if you would look at me today and say, Pastor Matt, I am in the monastery every day 
I go from my cubicle to my car to my garage to my den, from my bedroom to my car to my cubicle, and do it all over again. But we need to take a hint from the Lord today and make sure that we as the light don't forsake the world. He gave us the cost in his very first sermon to us. And he said, you're blessed. You're blessed to be counted among the ones who speak from God. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are blessed to be among the ones who speak and act from the living God. Rejoice and be glad. Because we hold the light because we know Jesus. Regardless of where you stand in terms of your own light sharing today, I believe that the one who loved you first, most, and best is kneeling down and getting in your figurative ear today and saying, whatever the world has thrown at you, get up, walk it off. The game cannot go on without you. For you have been called by my name to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, it's never easy to call people into a place that could cause them harm. But you did it. It's easy to say, this is going to be great, this is going to be great, this is going to be great. But Lord Jesus, you said, this is going to be hard, this is going to be hard, this is going to be hard. But Lord Jesus, many of us today want to respond to your invitation to be the light of the world. It's the greatest thing we've ever been called to. It's the best thing we've ever been asked to do. So for just a moment, I want you to ask the Lord a question today in this place. Just between you and him. Ask him if you're retreating. Ask him if you're blending in. Ask him if you've become apathetic. Ask him why. And ask him what he wants you to do about it. Ask him if you're blending in. Ask him if you're retreating. Ask him if you're apathetic. Ask him why. And ask him what to do about it. And for just a few moments, let's make this house a house of prayer.
And this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world. And the darkness has not understood it. But to as many as received him, who believed on his name, he gave the power to become the children of God. Lord, I pray you would prepare us to be misunderstood, but set in us an expectation that many would receive and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. And no greater thing can we be asked to do than partner in that. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand today? Dodge some raindrops. Hey, for those of you who have been thinking about the men's retreat, Bill Anderson's out there in the lobby right now. Stop by. I would love to sit around a campfire with you next weekend. Maybe play some volleyball. Does that sound good? Take the gorge of death hike and not die. Things of that nature. So uh, if you want to go on the men's retreat, still time. See Bill in the lobby after church. We're so excited for all the things that God's doing. Also, just a reminder, invite somebody to that memorial service that we're doing on the 24th. You know somebody. Maybe it was family strife, maybe it was COVID. They didn't, just didn't have a moment to say goodbye. We want to offer that. Invite them this week. Offer to come with them. We got food trucks. What could be better? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, send us from this place excited to do your work, counting the cost, but being sure that you've called us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.